Blog Talk Radio. It's Wednesday afternoon and we're excited to be on the air. Your hosts for today's show are Robert Brining and Jack McEnroe. They will be taking your calls and speaking out on the topic of the week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That's 347-215-9442. Welcome to Paz IM Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Paz IM Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining, founder of the Paz IM Community. Um, I believe my co-host, Jack McEnroth, will be calling in today. I know he was in Copenhagen for the Elk Games, swimming his butt off, um, but I believe that he would be back and calling me in, so he should be joining us shortly. If not, I apologize, and he will be back with us next week. So just to tell you a little bit about Paz IM Radio, and Paz IM Radio is a radio show to help educate people who are living with HIV and AIDS or people who want to learn about HIV and AIDS and get a feel for real stories of people who are living with this disease on a day-to-day basis and people who, um, you know, this is more than just front-page news to me or to the people who come on as guests and share their personal stories. This is their life. This is something they deal with on a day, on a daily basis, basically. And um, it's important that we get out there and spread the word and not the disease and let people know that this is something that we don't have to be afraid of. Um, you don't have to be afraid of somebody with HIV. And that's uh, a message that we try to, you know, put across to people who, who maybe are not educated enough um, on the disease or how it's spread or, you know, what it's all about. Um, we usually have, um, we are bi- I'm sorry, we are a bi-weekly show. Uh, you catch us Wednesdays, uh, 2 o'clock, like right now, live. Um, and my, host is, my co-host is Jack McEnroe. And then on Sunday evenings, we also are live at 9 p.m. And my co-host is Jeremy Dunn of PositivelySpeaking.com. Um, today's special guest is Lonnie Lefevre, and he'll be calling in uh, shortly. And uh, Lonnie has been paused for 29 years and counting and is also co-infected with hepatitis C. Lonnie lives in a small rural farming community in Ohio. He chose not to seek treatment because of what he saw his, early, his friends go through in the early days when he was first diagnosed. Lonnie has been arrested and charged with attempted murder and spent three and a half years in prison after being accused of intentionally infecting a young man. He helped to start and operate a bingo operation that provided lacking services for persons living with HIV and AIDS. And in 10 years, they were able to provide the sum of $175,000 a year to help the HIV AIDS community. Um, and I just want to back up a little bit on and talk a little bit about what has happened to um, Lonnie. So let me see. Lonnie uh, lost his life partner to battle against AIDS in April of 1989 and has been single ever since, not by choice but more by location in the battle against hate, stigma, and discrimination. Lonnie has always been out about his status. There is good that came from that, but also grief. He, has, he was charged with second-degree attempted murder for accused of intentionally infecting a young man and was sentenced to prison for 5 to 25 years. The young man came forward a year into his sentence, but the state of Ohio refused to release Lonnie. He served three years, three and a half years before he was released. So he's going to come on and talk about that. And I think it's really important that we do talk about these issues because it's so important to talk about disclosure and how it's done. And, you know, obviously people can lie and and these criminal suits can be filed against you. So we have to really know the state laws and um, the disclosure laws for your state. and, And you really need to talk about the issue publicly to people, and Lonnie's going to do that today when he comes on. So that I'm stoked about. Um, so as I see the switchboard now, I'm guessing that Jack is probably not going to call in today. So I'm just going to follow up and apologize for him not being here, but he will be here um, next week. So coming up on Paz IM Radio this Sunday at 9 o'clock, me and Jeremy will be speaking with a member of the Paz IM community, Henry Baca, who's going to share his personal story um, which is always good. I love to have members of Paz IM come and share their personal stories. And then on Wednesday, next Wednesday, the 5th of August, we will be speaking with Teresa Daughtry, who is a local woman for me, Pennsylvania, um, friend and member of the Paz IM community. And she will share her story. And she was diagnosed later in life 
and she's going to talk about that experience. So that I am excited to have on. We have some really other great topics coming up and guests coming up in August that I will speak about later. And I think I have Lonnie on the line, so let me see if I can bring him in. Hello, Lonnie, is that you? Yeah, that's me. <laughs> hey, Lonnie, how you doing today, man? Oh, I'm loving it, enjoying the weather. Yeah, that's good, that's good. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Uh, my co-host, Jack, I believe he is in transit coming home from Denmark right now. <laughs> I thought he would be here, but I'm taking it maybe he isn't. So it's just me and you today? Oh, we can handle that. <laughs> right. So it won't be that big of a problem. Um, and eventually uh, the chat room hopefully will get filled up, which is always a good thing to take calls from there. So um, I, I talked a little bit about you um, before you came in, but I wanted to uh, just kind of rewind everything back to in the 80s when you were first diagnosed. And I kind of wanted to talk about what that was like for you because you're somebody who's a long-term survivor and, you know, you went through the early stages when you lost a lot of friends. Yeah. That's and true. these are things that somebody like me or somebody who's newly diagnosed hasn't experienced or can't even imagine it happening. So yeah. I wanted to know if you could just talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, it was, I guess the best way I can describe it is what my grandmother said to me. She died at 99 years old, and she told me that in your short period on this earth, and at that time it was, I was in my late 20s, she said, you've been to more funerals than I have in my whole life. And it got, and it was the truth. I mean, it got to the point where you didn't go in and ask which one was that. You just made the assumption that they had AIDS, or well, of course that time was kids, and you just assumed that, they died, so you quit asking because you didn't really want to hear it. So, right, it was, it was a scary period of time. We didn't really at that time know what was going on, but we knew that we were losing people left and right, and at a very young age, and it all seemed to be in the gay community. So, so we, uh, I think everybody walked around on kind of pins and needles in one way, but another way. A lot of us just didn't think, well, we didn't live in a big city, so we didn't have anything to worry about. And right. So, you know, it wasn't really the brightest attitude take maybe, but, you know, we, like I said, we really didn't know what was going on. And there was so much misinformation out there that, you know, that you just really, I guess, didn't want to find out for sure. Right, right. Totally understandable. Um so I, I know it was tough probably being diagnosed, and I know that you lost your partner in yeah. um, 89, right? Right, yeah, April of 89. April of 89. And um, I, obviously when you lose anybody who's close to you, um, it's, it's very hard to, to deal with and to go through. And what were your emotions like? Because that, like, that was in 89. That was still when it was kind of still fresh and new and everything was, you know, coming out and people were, you know, curious of what AIDS was and didn't know what AIDS was, what was it like to lose somebody who was so close to you? I, know, I don't want to get you emotional because I, I don't want to get emotional, but I just, I'm just curious to, to find out like, what it's like to lose somebody because somebody in, in the in this, um, community on Pazayan just in the last three or four months lost his partner and you know, he's going through a situation where he feels like he's, he's alone and, and he can't relate to anybody and I just kind of wanted to offer a little hope that way. And what did you do with in, in dealing with that situation to help you, you know, kind of get through it? Well, at first it's it's kind of denial. I mean, and I never I never used, uh, was tested. I just assumed that, you know, knowing Billy was, because Billy was in the Air Force, and knowing that he was, they pretty well told me I was because we used no protection, you know. And uh, so and it was... During a period of time when I guess that, you know, all the conservative parts of our society all of a sudden didn't like the young because we were exploring. And, you know, and that exploring, you know, sometimes led us in places that we should never allowed ourselves to go to, but we did. But it, it was a lot of confusion. It was a lot of anger, I can tell you that, because what I saw him go through actually – 
in 86, he uh, took a turn where he wasn't doing very good at all, and he was hospitalized at, at Denver, in Denver Hospital, which was supposed to be one of the best hospitals at that time in that part of the country. And he'd walk in one day, and he'd be in isolation. The next day, he'd come back in, he'd be in reverse isolation. Um, you had nurses that absolutely refused to even touch him. You know, I mean, would not walk in the room. You'd walk up and find his food sitting on, the, on a tray in the hallway, and everything was styrofoam and plastic. And you didn't know how long it sat there because you didn't know when the last person ate. Right. And finally, we kind of came to a decision when he was still was, <clears throat> his mind was pretty good at that moment, and or has seemed to be, and we talked about it. And we had a couple girls who were friends of ours that lived very close to us, and we'd always done a lot of stuff together. And so one of the ladies quit her, her job, her full-time job, and switched hours and switched so that she could be there when I couldn't be there or when her partner couldn't be there. And so we kind of basically took care of it. I mean, uh, I came home. What really brought it on was I came home one night, and he was all excited about something he was fixing for me, and the house smelled just like toxic fumes. And I'm going, I kept asking him, What's, what are you cooking, Billy? And finally I got him to settle down up where I could look, and he'd just taken everything off underneath the counter and put it in this pan and how, you know, he kept killing himself that way. I have no idea. And that, that's mm. really what that I just to the point where we knew that we had to do something. You know, the Air Force kicked him out, needless to say, you know. Uh, so he's pretty much, he lost a lot of his friends because Air Force pilots are, are kind of a, a different breed in the first place. And right. you know, he, uh, that group, uh, I, I always said they had to live on the edge. All their, all everything they did, and uh, and so when they found out he was positive, there was a few that they who had been close with that really stuck with him as much as they could. But at the same time, they had to be so careful because their careers could be ruined. You know, absolutely. And so it, it, and I mean. And the worst part was that all of a sudden he he's passing it was you know in three years he he steadily went downhill he got to the point where he was not the the person that I fell in love with I didn't know him he didn't know me uh, there was times that he, he'd know everything and then the next moment he'd be babbling on about things that you know, and things but sometimes you didn't even know what he was saying. What was that because of the medication, you think? Part, it was partly due to the medication, but it was the dementia, you know. Yeah. And dementia, you know, it was, it was pretty wicked at that time, it seemed mm-hmm. to be anyway. And I think it is any kind of guess, but I think it's more because I went through, you know, with him. And I saw him go from a very vital man down to basically a child in diapers that had to be watched 24-7. And, you know, we didn't last, I guess, the last year, I would say maybe three times that he really came back and was well enough that, you know, he was able to talk to me and I knew it was him talking to me. And uh, we, his mother came out to help. And anyway, we, her and I was always friends. And anyway, when he died, she freaked. And uh, she said uh, I killed her son and and all this and she said you know she told me basically get the hell out and right. I left our home that Billy and I bought and was you know it was ours but back then you know he went no one was going to die we were too young you know what I mean we didn't right. have a will and so his mother had all the rights and I had none so she uh, basically packed my told me there's nothing to pack because you don't own anything. And I left Denver, Colorado with a pair of jeans and a T-shirt and tennis shoes on. And, uh, you know, luckily I, I did have a, a, ch- a savings account I'd forgot about. And uh, I, so that helped me start a small business when I got back in this area. Right. Lonnie, are you on a cell phone or a landline? 
I have my cell phone. Okay. Can, could you possibly call me back on a landline? I just You're breaking up, and I just want people to hear your, your story, and some of it you're breaking up. Okay, yeah. Would that be okay? Yep, hang on a sec. I'll do that for you. <laughs> okay. You can actually do it back. while you're on the cell phone, okay. and then you can hang up on your cell phone when you get through. <laughs> then I don't lose you. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> uh, shoot. Guess I'll do it in here. So as you're, I'm waiting for you to call back in, I'll just talk, I'll let people know if you're out there listening and um, you would like to learn more about POSIM Radio and the POSIM community, you can check that out at www.posim.com. Um, and that will, you know, give you all the information that you need if you're interested in being a guest on the show. That can be done as well. You can share your personal story. Even if you work for an aid service organization, you can come on and share your story and talk about your aid service organization and the wonderful work that you're doing. Um, and you can always create a profile on POSIM2 for your aid service organization and post events that you are holding in your area. Um, with over 1,000 members, it will be a good way for you to reach people living with HIV and AIDS in your community where your AIDS service organization is located. Lonnie, did you call back in? I'm working at that and getting to the telephone number here. <laughs> uh, sorry. Uh, I just want to say hello to the Queens of Media who are in uh, the chat room uh, joining me this, e this afternoon. Um, thank you for joining us, sweetie. Um, uh, excited about having her on. We're actually going to be on the Queens of Media. Me, Jack, and Jeremy will be on that show, I'm going to say, August 31st. And it's a late night, so um, that should be interesting. Okay, here we go. All right. Let's see. I'll bring Alani back on for everyone since we can get, let's see. Let me see. Alani, is that you? Hang on. Hello? Hello? Hello, who's this? This is Justin Smith from Justin's HIV Journal. Hey, Justin. How are hey. you? Hold on one second for me. I'm waiting for Alani to call back in. Sure. <laughs> I have, uh, um, he was on a cell phone and I couldn't hear him, but uh. <laughs> thanks for calling in, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, good, good. I'm just waiting for uh, Lonnie to get in here. Um, where is he at? Yeah, I was reading up on him and I was like, I want to call in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you missed him at the summit. I did? Yeah, he was in D.C. Um, at the summit, you know, when we were there and he was supposed to speak on the second day, and I think he had a prior speaking engagement also in D.C. Oh. I'm going to bring him on now. Lonnie, you there? Yeah. <laughs> hey, all right, that's so much better, Lonnie. Now you're not breaking okay. up. I have I have a Justin uh, B. Smith on the line from Justin's HIV Journal, one of the bloggers on Pause. Yeah, yeah, I've been reading some um, stuff. Yeah, he wanted to call in and make a comment. So. Hey, Lonnie, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Good, good. I'm doing fine. I read up on you, and I was, I was, I was, just intrigued by your story. I just couldn't believe it. I was, I, you know, I'm so uh, appreciative of your bravery and courage, um, especially coming out and you know in the '80s, I think, yeah, with with yeah. HIV and being so open with it. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for for you know being one of the ones that um, was a trail is a trailblazer and actually helping people like me come out and be open about who they are and what their HIV status is. Well, part of, part of my reason was that I had KS. Right. So I always considered myself a walking billboard. And so I figured if I was going to be a walking billboard and people were going to stare at me that, <clears throat> or make comments that, you know, it wasn't like I chose to be fighting this, it was just, it was there. Right. And so it, I guess it, it made me very confrontational. I was never one to keep my mouth shut when I should, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I have something something in common then. Oh, good, good. <laughs> um, also, I had one more question for you. Sure. There's um, there's a case pending right now. I don't even know what the outcome is, has been, or I'm, I'm still trying to follow it right now. There's a pop singer in Germany. Her name is Naja Benazia. Yes. And she actually has been accused of uh, infecting, I think, a, one out of three of her partners with HIV. 
because um, she's positive as well. She's uh, very well known in, in Europe and um, she's part of the, uh, I guess, No Angels girl group, uh, supposedly the number one European girl group ever, uh, or German girl group ever. But um, I just wanted to know what your thoughts about that was, like decriminalization and things like that. Well, first Especially of all, since you, you've been through it. First of all, it, I, I can't believe that we have a law that makes any illness punishable by, you know, imprisonment, number one. Um, that part of my life, I would never want to go back down again. Right. You know, I mean, I'm being very honest with you, but at the same time, you know, it was one of the situations that it was, it was gonna, either going to break me or it was going to make me. And I made my mind up that, you know, I knew I was innocent. I knew I hadn't done anything wrong and that I was going to, you know, hold my head up and continue to say that, you know, I didn't do this. And and, and fortunately, in one way, the young boy came forward a year later and did admit that he, uh, what it was is I came back and I was really struggling with the loss of my partner. So I started a business and work, started working 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week, and it was just a, it was just a way to escape and not to you know spend because I didn't sleep. You know, you you'd go to crawl in bed and you just sleep with someone for 20 years, right. and they're gone. It's it's weird. It's, it's hard to explain. It's like part of you is you know never rest, never stops. You know, right. and so but anyway, you know. The young boy did come forward approximately a year later and state, you know, that he had lied, and and, and it was all over a day that I was really stressed out, and he had been like the sixth or seventh time he came in and, and hit up on me, and I just simply said, look, you know, I'm not looking, you know, I don't want you to bother me, so just get the, you know, what out of my business and leave me alone, and he said, oh, I will. And he walked out of there and went to the prosecuting attorney's office. Oh, my gosh. And simply said that I had slept with him before <sighs> having gay cancer at the time, you know, which is AS. You know, uh, it didn't take him long. And I lived in a, in a rural area, and I got, well, we, myself and another woman, which is in Dayton, it was an African-American woman who was a prostitute, uh, or, or so I should say sex worker, I mean, I don't like to use the word prostitute. Right. I mean, a lot of them are doing it to survive. You know? And so, but anyway, we were the first two in the state of Ohio to actually receive, you know, you know, the charge of attempted second-degree murder. Wow. And, uh, I, uh, I, I, you know, I saw my parents devastated. I saw my family. I, I, you know, I, you know, I saw people that. I thought knew me that I really questioned whether they were going to believe it or not. And anyway, I find out that I can't get out of jail because I was found guilty by a jury. And the only way that that could be changed is I'd have to have a whole new trial over again. And needless to say, it was fifteen or twenty thousand I spent on the first time. And you know, I just lost my partner who you know any extra money that besides what I had hid back, but I forgot about, you know, we put back for, it was really what it was for, it was for if anything ever happened that one of us would have some money, and I, you know how it is, you you don't think that way. Right. So, I, you know, and that money went to defending myself, and, uh, but, you know, I, they came back and said, yeah, we can try you again, but you're going to have to start all over, (laughs) and I I didn't want to put my parents, my family all my friends back to do that again. And right. I don't know if I wouldn't put myself back to it again. Right. I mean, yeah, and I finally did get it off. My re- I, my record was expunged. I oh, went good. I applied for it to be expunged. But it still hangs over you. I'm yeah. sure. And so uh, I've always been a firm believer. The only way that, you know, you're going to deal with something is just to de- deal with it straight on. Right. And so I decided, hey, guys, I'm going to let you all know they're, you're playing Russian roulette out here. Yeah. And your ass can be gone in a heartbeat. And uh, we don't realize what freedom means until you lose it. Yep. You know? And, I mean, I was very That's fortunate. True. I was, you know, 
I didn't get put in a maximum security prison. They determined that, you know, I was a medium risk, security risk. Mm-hmm. And, and but at the same time, that was no ballpark because there was 178 men in, the, in a dorm. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, so and in there they didn't care if you had AIDS or not. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just pretty well if they wanted you, you know, and I was 35 at the time, you know, and uh, so it was, I got an education, I finished my college education in there, so there, there is good things that came out of it. I, I have a relationship with my father that I never had, you know, and, and I and it came from that, you know, I, I saw my father cry for the first time wow. when I was sentenced. And, wow. You know, so, I mean, it done, there's so many good things that came from it. It made me more outspoken. It, it made me say, okay, I, you know, I always joke. It was somebody up there saying, okay, you've been slacking off, boy. I'm going to get your attention. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. <laughs> he got my attention. <laughs> he got my attention real quick. But I, I got three and a half years out of it. I went forward with the parole board. And even at that point, it, even though the record it had been proven I didn't do it, Boyd came forward, wrote a statement up. I still, it was worse than going to court. I mean, they berated me. They went, as far as I was concerned, I was nothing but, you know, trash that I, you know, I should be taken out in the street and shot. And I mean, I mean, it was just unreal. And I guess, so I mean, I'm thinking, I didn't do anything. Right. (laughs) Right. But that's part of what comes with living with this this illness or this virus, I call it. I always say I live with it. I, I, it. It doesn't. I don't allow it to control me, and I and it. And so, I mean, that's the way I look at it. So. Well, I I just want to say thank you so much well, for your courage and from what you you know. I just all I can say is thank you. Well, I, I you're an, a truly an inspiration to me and to I'm sure a lot of my listeners and watchers and how I am listeners and watchers. I, well, I, you know. I didn't do it to get fame or claim. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but I do appreciate that, you know. No and problem. I, I'm kind of relating to Shirley yesterday, I mean, uh, Sunday evening when she was speaking, at, you know, and she said something about, well, I think that maybe we need some of the new younger faces. And I agree, but we still need my face there. I'm 29-plus mm-hmm. years with this illness. I chose not to seek treatment until 1996 when I walked into the hospital. and don't remember it. 107 temperature and, and my heart stopped twice. Wow. You know, I, I had a viral load that, you know, I mean, I forget, it was in the millions. You know, I mean, oh I had gosh. K, my whole body was covered with KS down my throat. You know, uh, and Robert saw me and knows that I no longer have any KS. And of course, he didn't see all my clothes off, but, you know, I still <laughs> don't have no KS there either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass myself, all right? <laughs> But anyway, thank you. No, no I, problem. No problem. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Justin. Have a good day, man. You too. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. <laughs> and just for people who are listening, you can um, read Justin's blog at Justin's HIV Journal. You can Google that or go to Posium Community, and it's all posted there as well. Yeah, Justin's a, a sweetheart. We, I actually was able to meet him in D.C. at the summit. Um, he came at the reception after the first day. Oh, shoot. Yeah, so um, I just want to... Real quick, I just want to make an announcement for people, because there may be people out there who are listening to the show and can't get into the chat room tonight or this afternoon. Refresh your screen, and then you should be able to get into the chat room that way, um, because I know there's people out there listening who probably are not being able to get into the chat room. So, Lana, I just want to back up. You talked a little bit about what happened with this gentleman, and um, this, this gentleman and you never, ever made sexual contact at all. No, no. So, so this gentleman just showed up, and then well, what, the, well, he had he had found out he was positive, and you know back then you know in the rural area it was pretty blunt. There was no counseling afterwards, pre or afterwards. It was just basically you have age and you're going to die on bridge and you're going to die, motherfucker. And that's excuse me, but that's just how they looked at it. Right. And uh, he was scared, and you know he was confused. You know, all the things that everybody goes through when you first find out. And I had KS, so... What is KS? KS is a carp... I can't say the name. It's a skin cancer, which is big purple lesions that you get all over your body. Okay. Uh, You know, and I mean, it looks like... One guy said to me, so who in the hell beat you up this week? 
for? And I said, well, it's not that. I, I have gas. And he goes, well, what the hell is that? I said, well, it's a, gay, it's a cancer that Sicilian men in their late 70s and 80s get. And I said, I'm Canadian, French, French-Canadian, and, and Irish. So where in the hell does the Italian come in at? I don't know. But it just seems to be one of those cancers that at the beginning a lot of people were coming down with, you know. And it, most of the time, when it gets in your inside, then it starts giving you really a lot of grief, you know. Right. And, but I was, so I, guess, I, had, I had an HMO, Doctor Who. I had thrush. I had everything that, I mean, all the signs there, everything was screaming, you know, I had AIDS. And he just kept saying, take more of it. You'll feel better next week. You know, and that was his comment. <laughs> mm-hmm. So was there, after this came in, you went to prison, um, you know, yep. and what was your sentence? You were sentenced for what? I was sentenced uh, for second-degree attempted murder. But, I mean, for how long were you? 15, uh, uh, 5 to 25 years. Okay, so they didn't even, like, give you, like, a, like a certain amount. Like, you're definitely going in for 10 years. They kind of well, gave you a range? No. They, uh, it was really dependent on the judge. The judge said, as far as he's concerned, I should rot in there. And That's what the judge said to you? Yeah, yeah, in the courtroom. And, you know, this was, of course, before we knew. And even afterwards, I really don't know. I had to go back before him to get expunged. And mm-hmm. I really didn't know if he would even do it. And, and that's the whole thing. They don't have to do it if they don't want to. I mean, and you can fight them. But in, in the long run, you know, these judges do things that, you know, the way they want to do them, and, you know, until, you know, somebody else comes along that's got more power and knocks them out of their chair, they're going to continue, and we call it out here Wilson land, and, I mean, you go for Judge Wilson, you know, he is, he, I mean, my attorney, who was the head of the Republican Party, which, you know, but anyway, even he said that he had never been in a courtroom where they, you know, just basically you know, created new laws, you know, basically that right. air to, to charge me. Because at that time, it had not been, became a felony. You know, and that we were like the trial, I guess we were two of the trial cases, and Ohio was very proud to do it. You know, I mean, very proud to do it. You know, and, and so this, this, gentleman, day, this gentleman knew that you were positive because you were somebody who spoke out on it. Yes, and that because so you I were like an activist. At that time, and what year oh, yeah. was this when this all happened? I'd been an act- activist since probably, I would say, '78 when I first started screaming and hollering at people, and saying, "Look, folks, there's something happening. You know, what are we doing? You know, let's wake up. You know, let's start making them answer, answer questions." I mean, when you have a, a friend who is 22 years old who goes from a perfectly healthy man that played sports and was you know, always very conscious about what he ate and what he done, and you see him go from a healthy person to a person that looked like something from Auschwitz, you know, in a period of six months, you know, it told you there was something going on. And, you know, and the way we, way we were treated. And one thing I want to mention, and I don't know if it happened to a lot of other people, but I found out, even in the gay community, that, you know, there was a lot of times I would get spit on when I walked in a bar, you know, right. just for the fact that I had AIDS. You know, and, and Or people would walk up to me, what are you doing here? What are you going to kill the rest of us? You know, or you know, or blame me for, you know, one of the, someone that died, you know. I've actually been in, you know, in more fights in that first few period, you know, four or five years inside gay bars, and I'm not a fighter. I'm, you know, hey, forget it. I don't like to get hurt. <laughs> right. I hear you. I make love, not war, too. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's my exactly theory. the same way. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, people come and just hit me. Just out of the right. sky. Yeah. So, I mean, That's one of the things crazy. that bothers me so much out there, you know, in the gay community, is that there's so much stigma from other gay people who... Yeah. You know who are who who have gone through the fight of trying to get equal rights and to be treated equally and to get the respect from you know the heterosexual world, and for them to come in and to discriminate against people who are HIV positive, to me that's like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. It's like 
why would you discriminate against your own kind? Like I, you, you fought for years for equal rights, and then you're going to come and discriminate against somebody who is also fighting for equal rights. Fair. You know, equal rights is all the way around. Yeah. It's not just one person. Yeah, but fear is what, what does it. I mean, if you really get down to the nitty-gritty and, and you can get those people that are so adamant against this to really tell you the truth, it's fear. It, you know, yeah. they, they all know that they're taking risk out there. They all know that the possibility they could be infected, you know, and, and it's fear. I mean, and unfortunately, until we can get through to people's heads, we know how to stop this disease. You know, we know how to make it so no one else, you know, a good probability no one else will get it, you know, and, and that is to, you know, have safe sex, you know, but we have people that want to live on the edge. And, I mean, how many times have I been hit up? And that's the reason I quit going online for a long time. It's because every time website you went, you had these bug chasers chasing after you. You know, and I, and I kept thinking, you know, are you people insane? You know, <laughs> do you really want to go through what I've been through? Yeah, let me tell you, I don't think you really do, boys. You know, I mean, it's just, it, I can't even fathom it. You know, I really can't. I mean, it just it staggers my imagination at times. But, yeah, you like know, you said, it, it, it's all fed through fear and fear. ignorance yeah. and yeah. not being educated. Mm-hmm. You know what There's I mean? No that's with any it. kind of hate crime or 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 bashing of anything is like yeah. that. And there's um, no re- reason for it, Robert. And you know it as well as I do. There's right. plenty of education out there. You know, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not I'm not condemning anyone. You know, I used to have an attitude when I first started talking that I would say, and I quit saying it because I realized I was being just as bad as the ones that were screaming at me. But I'd mm-hmm. say, you know, I can understand when in the early part of this disease when we had people dying left and right. You know, I went to, in one month, to give you a good example, I went to 24 funerals. Oh, my God, Lonnie. 24 Whew. funerals. In one, in one month? One, one month. One week was the best I ever done. I'd done eight in one week. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine going through something like that. And, it, and I, it's what people don't understand, it's, you don't, you're not, it's like losing all the people that that you had in your life. You know what I'm saying? It's like your friends that you had made and bonded with and you, you know, you went to bars together, you went out and done crazy things together. You, It was that, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, you know, you looked around and there wasn't any of them left, you know, and so to reach out and start making new friends, it has really been a struggle because it's, do I want to make new friends again? And then all of a sudden bury them. And I went through this just a year ago. You know, I lost two people that I really opened up to and got to be really friends with. And you know, we'd done things together. And, you know, I worried about them. I'd call them every day to make sure that, you know, they were taking their meds and, not, you know, that they were getting their food, and I buried him this year. And I'm back to, you know, it almost makes you feel like you're back to ground zero. You know, you know, I've got friends that know I'm positive, but they're not really friends. You know what I'm right. saying? This, yeah. You know, if you bring the subject up, they get real uncomfortable real quick. You know? Right. And, I, and yeah, I had two roommates that used Clorox on everything I touched. They were, they both, you know, they were gay. You know, I, I laid literature in the house so they could read it. You know, and that ended up driving me out of that house. I couldn't stand it. You know, so you know, it's there's a lot of discrimination that comes along with it. And we, and that's the reason. You know, that's the only thing with Shirley. I think she's missing. Is we do have to keep speaking out. You uh-huh. know, people like myself has to speak out because we're coming back around a, a cycle. Well, I can see it starting to happen again. You know? Yeah. I mean, we, we just saw last night on the news, they're cutting $548 million out of Medicare, Medicaid in our state. Wow. How many AIDS patients is that going to affect? How many AIDS patients aren't going to get that supplementary bill or, or that extra pill they need to keep them, you know, going each day or, or keep this, you know, their... their you know, their mental state where it needs to be, you know, 
we're doing it's almost like they're trying to basically kill, start killing people off again and that's what right. I do so I mean I shouldn't be here I'm advocating again sorry <laughs> well see that's one of the things I told Shirley when she was talking about it how you know she wants to empower the younger people to do it which is great but I still want to see long-term survivors me personally want to see yeah. them out there speaking because like she said, that's what inspires people like me who are sitting around doing nothing, you know, yeah. about it and just living their day-to-day life probably in denial or just not even thinking about it because they're not on meds or they just take a pill and they feel fine today. Yeah. Um, it inspires them to want to get, you know, involved in the community and start speaking out on it. So I always tell long-term survivors, like, even like for me, I probably wouldn't be doing and running Pause I Am if... I never came across Bob Bauer's website. I believe that. You know, because I Googled my name and I Googled HIV, and his name came up because he has the same first name, Bob. So it came up, and that website, OneToughPirate.com, inspired me to get motivated and start speaking out on myself about, you know, living with a disease and letting people see that I'm nothing you have to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, one of the things I did want to talk about, I, I want to go back and a little bit about when you went back to prison. I want to talk um, when this gentleman came forward a year after um, of you being in there and said that he lied. They let you sit in there for another two and a half years. Yes. How is that possible? Because I was found guilty by a jury. And you were, I, I, was, I had a jury trial. And, and, and I, how did they how did they prove that you did this if it was all hearsay? He tested positive, and I had gay, I had gay cancer. I thought that was the only. I never was tested. I never actually received an HIV diagnosis. It was in, in May seventeenth of nineteen ninety six is when I actually received my first diagnosis, and it was AIDS. I was you know I had two opportunity infections, and, you know, I had no T-cells, and I basically was uh, probably standing on death's doorstep. Right. And And I know one of the questions that probably the people listening are going to have is, what happened to this guy when he came forward and said, I lied? Did you press charges against him? No. No. And Uh, why didn't you? Because I kind of understood and I know that sounds crazy, and it's hard to explain to people because I and I and I have people ask me that question every every place I go speak. Right. And I don't go back when you first found out. Uh-huh. Think back to that day, and, and that period of time before you, you you told anybody before you had time to really even digest what if you got lucky and had a counselor that was counseling you during that period, you know, or, or someone that you know and that agency that was kind of. You know, here, you need just a little bit of sport here, and you got, you know, I mean, he was scared. He, you know, he, he didn't know what to do. He was living in a rural area where, you know, he he knew if, he, if it came out, you know, it, first of all, his life probably wasn't going to be safe, you know, not from his aid, but, but from the people, you know. And plus, it's the fact that everybody knows everybody. I right. mean, and so, it, he was. He, I mean, honestly, he was scared. And I mean, I understand that. And, and I've always made a policy that no matter who comes to me, I don't care how busy I am. And they, they're just found out they've got, they've been diagnosed, or, or they think they are positive. I stop right away and sit down and talk to those people now, because what I did was I didn't do that with that young man. I did, you know, I was so focused on trying to get past Billy and, and, and running my, and I used the business as that tool that allowed me to, you know, disregard everything else, you know, and, and what I was doing was really, to be honest with you, waiting to die. I mean, that exactly was my attitude, you know, when all the rest of my friends started on AZT and they started building on AZT, you know, Billy kept begging and begging for me to do it, and I said, no, no, you know, I said, Billy, we're burying too many people. This isn't helping anybody. You know, all they're doing is hurting people. And we're their guinea pigs, you know. And we were easily disposed of because we were a marginalized part of society at that time. 
you know. And right. So it was easy, you know. He was the bag, you know. Bag didn't want to, you know. God sent it down, maybe, you know. But they can't. People don't, can't understand. It's a virus, you know. Right. They have flu every year, you know. What right. is it? It's a virus, you know. Absolutely. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Now, when when this was all said and done, and and when, when it was. When this first happened and it all went out, did this go to the press? Was this, like, on the news? Oh, I, yeah, they had uh, three local TV stations outside of my business. And okay, so this was all it was, over. I mean, it was, it was on, uh, in our local, I imagine, local area. I don't know how far it went out. I never right. re- really checked to see that. I was too shell-shocked. To, you know, here right. I was. I never thought I'd find myself locked up. You know, I know I'd done some stupid things maybe that I shouldn't have done, but I sure as hell never done anything. I could see ever finding myself in prison, you know, right. and, and have it done the way it was done, then walk in and and basically write in my business in front of every, you know, all my customers and say, you know, you know, see if you're under arrest. And they made a point, you know, of saying, you know, for infecting a young man with this illness that you have. And so it was in the newspaper, it was on the TV, it was... You know, and so my outing wasn't a choice. It, it was just, boom, it was there. I mean, you know, I mean, it was enough when people saw me, they pretty well knew, but right. it was unspoken. But once it hit the newspaper and was on, on you know, Channel 7 and Channel 2, Channel 2, you know, whatever, I forget the other channel is now, 8, and when right. it hit those, those three stations, you know, and I'm sure it probably did go out because it was, a scary time during that period. You know, people right. I just want to, um, real quick, I want to just remind the people listening, if you would like to call in and speak with Lonnie, you can give us a call at 347-215-9442. We're down to the last 12 minutes of the show, so give us a call now so you can get in, even if you have a comment. So then my follow-up question to that, Lonnie, would be, when everything was reversed, when you got released, did they, again, have the news stations there? No, no. No. Interesting. Did the gentleman who lied to you publicly apologize or write you a letter? Yeah, uh, he, he he wrote me a letter while I was in prison, and then his mother and father contacted me, and you know said you know we can help in any way. Let us know, and and un- you know, unfortunately, it, what it done to the boy was the young man took his life. I, I was out of prison. I think a year, not quite a year, and he didn't. He overdosed on purpose, and oh, so wow. I actually went, which people really freak out when I tell you this. I actually went to his funeral, and you know, and I mean, and he's, to this day, his parents cannot look me in the eyes, and and it's a shame. It really is a shame, you know that, you know, I mean, but no, I I mean. Don't don't take me like a hero because I wasn't, but I right. underst- I understood, you know what that ch- what that young man was going through, you know. And, well, I and think the was, whole point of it all, Lonnie, is that you're through your actions and what you're telling me is that you're showing you your actions showed people that even though you have HIV or AIDS, whatever it was the case that you want to call it, you are still a human being and you still know right from wrong. Yeah. And you were able to forgive this guy and literally go to his funeral. For me, that's kudos to you. Uh, I, I don't find it weird or anything crazy. I think that shows me that you are a very good human being. I mean, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't ever felt right if I hadn't been there. I mean, I had to show his parents that there was no animosity, that there was no, you know. Hatred. I'm not a little different. I grew up in a family that, you know, if you made a mistake, you made a mistake. And as long as you owned up to it, you know, and and was honest about it and and didn't keep doing it, then, you know, okay, you made a mistake. Just don't be that dumb again, you know. And so I guess that really played a lot in my life. I, I had two exceptional parents, you know, and, I, and they're still both alive, which I'm fortunate there. I, you know, my father's 85, my mother's 84, and uh, so I'm fortunate there. You know, but no, I, I, you know, and 
I wasn't the one that had to pay for it. That boy took his life over this. And, I mean, that's really sad if you stop mm-hmm. thinking about it. You know, I mean, I got an education when I was in there. Yeah, it, 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 it scared the hell out of me. It took my business, another business that took all my money away. I, I had to come out and basically, you know, the first job I went for, I had to tell them I was a felon. You know, I had to go through all that kind of crap. But I, I just I walked in and said, look, you know, I just got out of prison. I need a job. This is what happened. Whether you want to believe it or not, I don't really give a shit. I just need a right. job. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. deal with it. And I, and I was, I could always wait. One thing good about waiting tables, they don't really give a shit what you do before you get there. And so right. when I got out, I started waiting tables at first. And so, and then like I said, my health is pretty good. I, I was a manager of a, a lawn care business in Cincinnati. Uh, and so during that period is when I, you know, I started to have, you know, really having symptoms and I knew what was going on. I had K. I mean, I had thrush. Oh, my mouth was, you know, all the doctors say is, you know, well, just brush it. You know, use toothbrush. I don't know if you ever had thrush or not, but you don't want to take I a never toothbrush to, to it. Let me say, <laughs> trust me, don't do it. Because <laughs> it hurts like hell for the next two days. You can't eat anything, you know. Right. But I had everything. I I had a, all my lymph nodes were swelled up. You know, I you know, I mean, I had bumps on my body, and I mean, I had purple lesions that you know on my face. You know, I, could, I said down my throat, you know, all over. I'm in my shirt, my back, my chest, my legs. You know, it, I had lesions everywhere. You know, and you know, the, my doctor at the time, when I, which I'm still with, my same HIV doctor I was when I walked in, you know, in the emergency room that day, and I that was very weird. It's because she didn't work emergency room. She was an infectious disease doctor, but there was a patient that was having trouble. She came in. She just happened to go by when I when my heart stopped the first time, and right. I heard and when I don't remember her saying it, but she told the doctor that patient's mine. When I get done with this, I will be back. And and Kay and I got to be. I mean, I know I went to her children's christening. You know, I mean, I I, I take her vegetables down whenever it's in season. I always take her stuff. I mean. When nothing's ever been done that I haven't agreed with. She still apologizes to this day because of the adverse reaction I got from the Hep C treatment. And mm-hmm. you know, and I said, "Hey, you know, I chose to do that. You know, we looked at the facts. You know, we didn't know AZT couldn't be in your in your drug regimen when you went to take the treatment. You know, and that that was hell. I mean, I went from 175 pounds to 105 pounds in 15 weeks. Wow." You know, and everybody tells me now, and including my parents, they don't know how, they really thought I was going to die. And when it got to the point when my doctor was even, and I kept saying, no, I said, hey, I'm going to make the first 18 weeks. No matter what, I'm going to make 18 weeks. Right. And I, I made 19 weeks, and I found I had to quit. And, uh, you know, and I still have some residual mental effects from it, which, you know, they say you'll never probably get rid of. Um, but other than that, I, it's non-detectable. I'm non-detectable uh, for HIV. I, my immune system is almost probably like a healthy person, we could honestly say. It's, uh, That's great. I, One of um, the other things that I read in your in the bio here is that you're also co-infected with hepatitis C. And now uh, my co-host on Sunday evenings, Jeremy, he's also co-infected with hepatitis C. How is that um, playing in with your HIV and your health now? Well, uh, until I went through the clinical trial, I mean, it was it was going to be my death. I mean, you know, there was no doubt about that. Uh, right. Um, so, but I was fortunate so far since I you know went off the treatment, and after the blood work was done, I've been non-detectable. So, and they don't give you. It's hard to get that. I mean, I just got lucky with the clinical trial going on. Our state does not fund anybody with a Pepsi positive. There's no money for treatment. And so you either do it through a clinical trial or you pay for it out of your pocket. And right. I can tell you you can't afford that because your interferon, which is the shot you have to take once a week, uh, that is $3,500. And wow. then you take Ribavirin, in which, in, in which I end up losing all my 
blood cells, and so I had to start using what they call as Procrid, and those are $2,000 a shot, and I was doing those five times a week. And plus, I was getting probably two to three to four pints of blood, just depending on how my week went. And so, I mean, it was hell. It was truly, it was worse than, it was worse, I thought worse then than I did, I think, when I went to the hospital that day. Uh, I don't remember going in the hospital. I, my, my brain was frying out. And how, right. I, you know, how I even got there, I, I put, drove myself there, believe it or not. And I, the only thing I can remember is walking in the door and seeing the expression on the, the nurse's face. <laughs> like, you're here? <laughs> she, right. I can remember saying, crash cart, crash cart. <laughs> that was the last <laughs> thing I remember. And, you know, so I, and I told it, to, the one joke that still the nurses pick on me about, and I told them that my bird drove me there. <laughs> I never owned a bird, all right? So, but I don't know where that came from. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, they picked on me all the time about that. Even when I when I got out of the hospital, something like three weeks, four weeks later, they had a bird, a stuffed bird. They could be. They said, "Well, now you have a bird." <laughs> you know, one of the other things that I um I read in your bio is that you started a bingo operation that provided um provided lacking services for persons living yeah. with HIV and AIDS. And in ten years, you were able to raise one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. We right. we raised annually of somewhere between annually. yeah annually one hundred seventy five thousand dollars plus annually for that period of time. Well, that's so, amazing. Yeah, at, when we first started doing it, anybody in the state could come and we would help them if they needed food, if they needed clothes, they needed assistance getting in a house, uh, if they you know need help getting their meds. I mean, we done any we done we tried to fill in the spots the voids. It was there that, you know, like Ryan White doesn't pay for or, you know, or ADAP didn't cover, you know. And so, you know, and plus we also provided counseling for them. We had, we took them on trips. Uh, we, we had camp. We went out camping together. Uh, we uh, would take them every, every Thursday. I think it was every other Thursday night we would take them out to a buffet to eat, which I always used to laugh because I thought, you know, this really don't make no sense. You know, most people right. have got AIDS and zone medicine. Food is the last thing that's on your mind. Right. <laughs> but, you know how it is. Everybody, they, we killed them with kindness. But it <laughs> got down to the point where we had such an influx of people coming in from all over the state needing assistance. And we had two homes that, that for people that had no place to go that were, got, were in their spinal stages. And so we would care for them until they passed. And then if they didn't have anyone to you know pay for the burial, we'd pay for the burial. And oh, that's amazing, Lonnie. All that work that you do, that you did, and, and that you continue to do—it's just amazing. Well, you got to stay busy. I mean, yeah. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, and I know you're busy. That's why I told you. I, you know, you're, and you don't realize what you do. I mean, you can pat me on the back all you want, boy, but let me tell you what—you're rocking. <laughs> you are rocking. <laughs> Thanks, Lonnie. I mean that. I mean, I just when I when you were speaking the when I was sitting there and you listening to you speak. All of a sudden, I was my brain was like, okay, now who am I going to call when I get back to the hotel room and harass you? So, you know, and I'm bad. I the senators know me by name now, and I, right. I, I think I think I think every person that's positive should make sure that they have on their speed dial their senator and their representative, and I right. and don't give them a break. You know, hey, they're there to serve us. And okay, right. one real quick thing, I was told by a senator the first call you get, I just they just figure it's a crackpot. Second call, it's just a crackpot friend, crack, you know, crackpot friend, you know. But when it gets four, five, six, ten calls, all about the same subject, that catches his attention, because there's, you know, majority of times there's only about a third of the population that votes, and so when you start talking about those kind of figures out of his district, when you start to see this, you know, what about the ones that aren't saying anything or are not there? And you you can get a lot of things done. You really can. You can apply pressure. You know, there's lots of ways of doing it. You can be foolish like I've been and change yourself at the desk and do this kind of crazy things, but you also can go within the system and make it work for you, too. I mean, but you've right. got to be persistent, and you know All that. Right. Well, Lonnie, I appreciate you coming on. We're down to the last 30 seconds, so i got to yeah. scoot out of here. But um, you can learn more about Lonnie and check him out on POSIM as well with me, and you can join the community at POSIM.com. Lonnie, thanks for sharing your story and being so courageous and being a voice for us when there was no voice. I really appreciate it.
Well, you just tell everybody, everybody's listening, you know, you're welcome anytime. If you're filming down the dumps or something, they email me, we'll be switching numbers out. Uh, you know, anything I can do to help. I mean, that's, you got that's it, my man. goal. So, All right, well, thanks for joining us. And everyone, you can join us Sunday. Um, we'll be here live at 9 p.m. at the same place. So uh, we'll be speaking with uh, Henry Baca, who is another member of the Pazayan community. Lonnie, thank you. And everyone, have a great day. Robert, thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.